thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, for thy commands are Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God loves His people, and there is no greater blessing than to give us children who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. Can we say amen? amen? Last week we focused on the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of all believers, and it just so happens that this week we are talking about daughters. In fact, my message is called Daughters of Virtue. King David prayed blessings upon God's people in Psalm 144. And I really find it interesting what he had to say here. He, he was praying a blessing over the people of God. And he said, May our sons be as plants grown up in their youth, and our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of the palace. Isn't that kind of a neat and poetic way of praying a blessing, that our garments may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, and there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is the people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. As God calls us to worship today, also listen to Psalm 45, where David brings out a similar point. Psalm 45 says this, My heart is indicting a good matter, and I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of the truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of king's enemies whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia and out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thy ear and forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is the Lord and worship thou him. And thou, daughter of Tyre, shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins and companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee. Isn't it amazing? Uh, a lot of girls, and maybe a lot of men don't understand this, but girls like to wear beautiful things. How many, how many know this to be true? Okay, men, not so much, but women like to be dressed in beauty. And even the scripture points this out and talks about the daughters of the king uh, and their clothing even that they wear that uh, connotes their blessings. With gladness and rejoicing they are brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. 
Instead of thy father shall be thy children whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you love us and that you desire to adorn us with beauty. For beauty is a power, O God, that the world has never been able to conquer. For your loveliness and the beauty of your truth and and your people are a light that shines on a hill that cannot be hid. The light draws them in and brings them to understand that they walk in darkness. Lord God, I pray today as you have called your people today that you would make us beautiful. Lord God, that we would shine as lights in the world, that you would feed us from heaven. Lord, that you would give us rest today and that you would change us to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said amen. standing for just a few more moments I feel like we've had an entire church service already because we've been had a lot of reading but um, I have something for you from the Lord so I want to be sure that we uh, that we cover it today our text today is from the book of Luke chapter 8 starting in verse 41 uh, Luke 8 41 through 50 And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as she went, the people thronged him, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood was staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee, impressed thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spake, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue saying unto him, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. Let us pray. Lord God, as we go into this time where we are dividing your word and speaking, and I pray that your spirit would begin to speak to our hearts, that you would begin to apply these things to the hearts and minds of everyone that is here, that today we would grow in grace and in your likeness. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated. We have here at the center of our text a miracle within a miracle. A miracle, in fact, on the way to a miracle. This double miracle contained in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is a powerful narrative about two daughters. Everybody say two daughters. The first daughter is a 12-year-old little girl. A little princess of a girl in her important father's household. And the second is a perpetually unclean woman who is destitute of both money and company and has been plagued with a constant bleeding for 12 years. The entire life of the first little girl. The first girl, though, dying before uh, Jesus reached her or even before she had reached womanhood is surrounded by her mother and her father and a host of others grieving, while the second woman in our story uh, skulks in the shadows, talking only to herself and God, hoping not to be noticed as she reaches out to touch the hem of his garment from behind. The first starter story begins as her father humbles himself at the feet of Jesus, pleading for the healing, while the second daughter's story ends 
with her falling at the feet of Jesus in fear and gratitude. These two stories make one great story and have been providentially joined in the gospel accounts. I don't know if you caught all of those parallels and all of those contrasts, but they're pretty amazing to me. It's pretty amazing that a woman uh, is had an issue of blood for 12 years, is touched on the way to go to a 12-year-old girl's house. That the girl is very much so a daughter in the beginning, and then Jesus addresses the woman as daughter, but he doesn't do this throughout any of the other gospel stories. And so these two stories that have become one story here uh, are, are, I'm going to call the one story, Daughters of Virtue. Everybody say, Daughters of Virtue. In Matthew chapter 9 is the first time we hear about this. And as this has kind of become a pattern where when we have a story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, we go and we go show what Matthew says about it, what Mark says about it, and what Luke says about it. We're going to do that again. And as we come here to the book of Matthew, you'll see that what you have is a more simplified version of this story. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18, says, While he spake these things, uh, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even dead now, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. So notice here that in Matthew's version, the story is very simple. It does not say who the man is by name. It does not say where he rules. And it also starts with a daughter already being dead. And so the story is quite a bit different than what you read in uh, Mark and in Luke, because we, as you just heard from Luke, uh, there's a lot more to this story that, that Matthew doesn't tell us. It leaves out a step in this version. It sounded like the daughter was already dead when he came to Jesus at first, but we know later that's not exactly what happened, but it sounds like that. Uh, Also, Matthew does not include the little girl's age at all or that she was an only daughter. In verse 19, Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. Now, note in this account that it doesn't say which disciples. It just says disciples. We later learn who they will be. They will be Peter, James, and John. And they will come along. uh, And not only will they be the ones that come along with him to this, but if you remember as we talked about the transfiguration uh, the week before last, who was with Jesus there? Anybody remember who was with Jesus at the transfiguration? You remember, Steve? Peter, James, and... John, the same three he invites into this miracle, invites with him to go, are the same ones later after this, because the transfiguration happens next, uh, who come with him. Verse 20, Behold, the woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Twelve years she had been afflicted. She came to him from behind. Notice these two things, trying to be unnoticed. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment... Uh, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, by say, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. He addresses her as a daughter, and he explains to her that the reason that she's healed is because of the faith that she has displayed. Now, what you will notice as we go through the story that the way she displays her faith is actually she does wrong. She approaches God wrong. She actually does some things she shouldn't do. Uh, But even though she does the wrong thing, and she does it with the wrong understanding, God still rewards the woman's faith and tells her that her healing is the result of her faith. Do you know your faith does not have to be perfect in your understanding? You can get it all wrong. You know, I, growing up, I was around a lot of people. In fact, yesterday I was around some people and they were talking and you know what, as far as I'm concerned, they have no idea what they're talking about. According to God's word, they talk nonsense, but nonetheless, in our ignorance, God still deals with us, loves us and rewards our faith in him. Even if it is imperfect and ignorant. Okay. Jesus calls her daughter because she was one of his. She was a child of God's covenant people. They were there in the city of Capernaum where Jesus spent most of his time and she most certainly was a Jew along with the little girl, uh, Jairus' daughter as well. She may have felt fatherless on that day, but God reminded her that she certainly was not. This is why I entitled my message today, Daughters of Virtue. There uh, certainly kind of is a play of words here. It was not her own virtue because in fact what we will see is she wasn't virtuous at all about it, even about her faith was not Uh, done so in a virtuous manner but it was whose virtue that healed her was it hers 
No, it was the virtue of Christ. <clears throat> Note here also, he says, be of con- good comfort. He was telling her not to be afraid. Uh, you will see time and time again when God shows up in stories, what are people's response? They are afraid. And we should be afraid. When we really encounter God for real and he really shows up, it should strike terror in our hearts. And you will see that this is the appropriate response. Uh, once again, note the simplicity of the narrative in this version. He does not stop to ask who touches him. And he does not say how he knows that someone has. All right. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, it just goes on to this next part of the story here in Matthew. He came to the ruler's house. He saw the minstrels and the people making noise. He said to them, give place for the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in, he took her by the hand and the maid arose and the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. So you see, Matthew's account does not tell us that her mother was there. Matthew's account does not tell her that Peter, James, and John went in with Jesus. It doesn't explain all of these details. And so Matthew's version is a more simple version. Now Mark, as it is written a little bit later, with a little bit more detail, because Mark is a relative of Peter. And he traveled with Peter, and Peter uh, was there. And so he would know a little bit more about the story, right? So in Mark chapter 5, as Mark writes in Mark 5, 22, Behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Here we learn the man's name, where he ruled. He ruled in the synagogue, and that the way that he worshipped Jesus was to fall at his feet. Everybody say, fall at his feet. Quick point I will make. We kneel when we pray oftentimes because we are not Gnostics. We pray not just in our minds with our eyes closed or whatever, but our bodies pray. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we kneel down. Our bodies worship God. We will worship God not just with our minds, not just in ideas, but we will worship God. Something happens when our body worships the Lord. Maybe some of you don't realize this and you think we're going through some silly emotions, but I'm telling you, you will find that the scripture is replete with, even in heaven and descriptions of heaven, people are falling at the feet of Jesus. People are kneeling in his presence. People are raising their hands or they are falling prostrate upon the ground. If you do not avail yourself of this understanding and you only worship God in your mind, you may find that you have an incomplete understanding of how we worship God. We need to kneel. We need to pray. We need to clap we need to lift our hands our bodies our instruments of worship now uh don't miss this later peter james and john they're hanging around jesus all the time and they're watching this man come and fall at jesus feet to beg for the life of his daughter and then later at the end of the story of the woman with the issue of the blood she comes and she falls at his feet and who's watching this but peter james and john and so peter james and john on the mount of transfiguration remember what they did they were there and they fell asleep and they're not really paying attention and they wake up in the middle of it all and they're, they get, you know, Peter's got great ideas, right, for Jesus to do what he ought to do. But when the voice comes from heaven, what did the boys do next? They fall on their faces before the Lord. And so this is what we should do. We should understand that God is great and that we are not. Now they besought him greatly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray, come and lay lay thy hands upon her that she may be healed and she may live. Now notice this, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, there is a request that is accompanying this man's faith. This man has faith. Now you might even miss the element of the faith, but if this man had not come to Jesus, if this man had not asked Jesus This story would not have happened this way. And we can get into providence and coordination or whatever. But what I'm telling you is, is that this man was getting Jesus to come to his house because he came and he asked. But not only did he come and he asked, he came and he asked specifically. And he says this, he said, I pray if you will come and lay your hand on her. If you read about it in Matthew, you know what he says? If you will come and lay your hands on her, the exact words. And in Luke, it repeats it again. If you will come and you will just touch my daughter. And so this this story is also a story about touching. Jesus is this man's faith. He believes in his mind that if Jesus touches his daughter, she will be healed. And if you'll see also in the story, this woman believes that if she can but touch, not even him, but what? But the hem of his garment, then she shall be made whole. Now, there's no magic in Jesus' clothing. 
There, there really was no magic in the specific touch of Jesus. You might go, well, that sounds a little bit crazy. There was not. Okay, there were people touching Jesus all the time who were not did not have miracles done to them. In fact, it often talks about how they were thronging him and they were pressing him. Right. In fact, Jesus in the story, and I'll bring this out a little bit later. uh, The the disciples go, you're being touched on every side. You're being pressed by everyone. And you're going to ask who touched you. Well, of course, a lot of people touched you. People probably touched you that didn't even know. But there was a difference in this touch because this was a touch of faith. Everybody say a touch of faith. Now, I'm not about to go straight out uh, crazy mystical with you, but I'm telling you that this woman believed if she touched him, she would be healed. And this man believed if Christ touched his daughter, she would be healed. Can you see that what is going on here? These are specific acts of faith. There are things that you know in your mind that God deals with you about doing. And you kind of have the idea that if you would do that thing, then God would do the next thing, right? Benita's smiling back there. She knows there's a thing that we do where we put our faith in God and we go, you know what? I know that if I would just do this, then God would do this. Like, and you believe that's what faith is. Now it's not, you know, running around and being all crazy and, and, and whatever, but I'm telling you, faith is very specific. Faith says, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. And I believe that if I do this, it's the step of faith I'm going to take. I believe that you will hear my prayer. This is a very important element. There are some of you young people that may maybe not understand this. Maybe some of you older people, you don't understand this either. Faith is not in general going, oh, God's going to take care of it all or God's going to meet this. It's going, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. This woman is, she's like, you know what? I've, I, and we'll get into this more, but I've heard about this Jesus. And you know what? I know what? I bet you this. I bet you if I go, I'm, and she's believing in her heart in so much so that she's getting up and she's doing an action. She's doing what she can do by faith. All right. Jesus went with him. Much people followed and thronged him and a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years. Now, just as we learned in Matthew that her disease had plagued her 12 years, he had, uh, she had suffered many things of physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Now, this is new information. Matthew said she'd been sick for a long time, but now Mark gives us a little bit more detail. He tells us that uh, she had become poor. Uh, and trying to find a cure that she had gone to many physicians, not only this, but she had spent all after having done all this, she didn't just not get better. She actually got what she got worse. Oh, what pain and frustration she had borne for those many years, those difficult years before she met the healer. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched his garment. Now, everybody say she heard about Jesus. Faith comes by hearing. She had heard what others had said about him and this had stirred her discouraged heart to faith and courage. You know, the devil may have said to her, oh, don't bother him. Uh, he will just be like the other disappointments. You have gone and you've spent your money and you went across town and you found a new doctor and you went to this and you went over here and oh, you got an appointment here and oh, it just didn't work out. How much discouragement comes in all of that? The Robinettes know all about this. I don't know how many doctors we've been and I have no clue how much, you know, the medical bills have been. It's just frustration and you go and you go and you go and I'll talk to her. I'm like, okay, honey, we're going to try it again. We're going to go find find a new doctor. We're going to see if maybe they can do something. And, and you go and you're like, she, I don't even really want to go. I mean, what they're going to go tell me the same thing They they can't figure out what's wrong with me. Then there's nothing they can do about it. It's so discouraging. This woman was living like that, but here's the deal. She had heard about Jesus. Now do not discount folks. What talking about Jesus will do in the hearts of other people. You know, some people will take the opportunity and they'll even tell you, they'll go on and on and on and they'll tell you about some doctor and they'll tell you, and before you know it, I'm ready to call them on the phone. I don't care where they live. I don't care where they are. We'll go anywhere. You try anything. Why? Because you, because you love and you want this to be made better. And so she could have been discouraged, but someone started to tell her about Jesus. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what I saw him do. Let me tell you where I saw him go. Let me tell you how he fed these people. Let me tell you. And so they began to talk. When we talk about what Jesus has done for us, and we do this around other people, something begins to happen inside of them. Faith comes by hearing, right? 
and hearing by the word of God. Well, what more would be the word of God than us epistles read and known of men who God has touched? I like what the man uh, that the parent that the man had said. Remember later that sealed. He said, "You know, I don't know anything about this guy. I can't attest to his character or who he is or where he come from. But all I can tell you is that once I was blind and now I see. And there's not really a lot you can argue with that, right?" The man at the pool, uh, you know, who, who kept going and, and the guy at the gate for all those years, year after year, he's like, you know what? Everybody in town knows this man's been a cripple. He's been a cripple his whole life. Everyone's seen him at the gate. And all they can say is, hey, I don't know how it happened. I don't know exactly the details. All I know is he's walking and leaping and praising God. And when we begin to talk about what God does in our lives and in the lives of others, people begin to hear about it and they begin to think, well, maybe God could do that for me you know you don't have to be a theologian you only have to be a witness has god done anything for anybody in this room he has never fail to talk about it whenever you get the chance to talk to anybody maybe someone you don't know that well maybe a stranger don't worry about what they think about you just tell them tell them what god has done you know you know amy you could say you know let me tell you what god did in my life You'd be surprised what that does in the hearts of other people. They, oh, but what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about... Hey, you know what? That, let, let, the, let the the church doctors figure all that out. I don't know. All I know is that this was what my life was. But here is what it is. And so, people of God, we know He was the great physician. We know that it was going to be different. But someone took the time to talk about Jesus. And that's why the woman with the issue of blood came. Because she heard people talking about Him. There will be people who come to Christ because they hear you talking about Him. She said to herself, If I may touch His clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in Himself... That virtue had gone out of him. Everybody say virtue. See, the virtue came out of him. Now, uh, this is new information. Um, Matthew doesn't tell us about this, but now we get in Mark. And Jesus is explaining the reason I know that somebody touched me. Actually, no one had actually touched Jesus. They had touched his garment. If someone walks up and they touch my coat, am I going to feel that? I'm not going to feel that. They're going to touch my coat or, you know, they're going to, you know, touch some article of clothing that I had. I'm not going to feel that. But Jesus felt it because virtue flowed from him. Now, there have been people who have tried to make out of this a doctrine uh, that, that basically God has to respond to our faith. He has to. It's, it's a rule. And if we can, we can sort of make him do things, he doesn't know we're doing and he's not in control of. How many of you think that Jesus was unaware of this woman? He was certainly not unaware of this woman. How many people think he asked the question because he wanted to find the woman? Anybody think that Jesus didn't know who this woman was? Couldn't find this woman? Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, this man filled with the Spirit of God had been watching this woman closer than a hundred flocks of sparrows that might have fallen to the ground. Can we say amen? I didn't get an amen. I'd like to say amen. He had seen her in her suffering. He had noticed every drop of her blood that had fallen to the ground. He had numbered the more than 4,000 days that she bled and that nothing could stop it. And you might say you're being a little bit crass. Well, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit more crass because this is what the Bible says. We don't just talk about things because we want to, but when the Bible talks about them, we need to talk about them. His disciples said unto him, You see the multitude thronging thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her that had done the thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Even though she was healed, she was still afraid. Why? Because she was doing wrong. Is why. What was she doing wrong? We'll get to that. When he said, then he said unto her, daughter. Everybody say, daughter. daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house a certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Now we have new material again. In Matthew's simplified account, we do not hear about those that came to give him the news of the little girl's death. 
it sounds like she's already dead, but in, in, in uh, Mark we find out there was another step here. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now don't miss this. He hears the news of his death and Jesus immediately stops what he's doing. And, he, and, in, in, and instead of addressing the people that came, he says to the man, Hey, don't be afraid. Only believe. Everybody say, only believe. You see, what was at stake here is that when the man heard that his daughter was dead, that he would then lose faith. He had come with faith, believing if the master would just touch my daughter, she would be healed. And now he's being told, it's pointless, it's useless, don't even come. And Jesus stops what he's doing and he turns to the man, not to the people who said it, and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. He seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed. And when he was coming, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but she sleeps. And they laughed. In fact, they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he takes the father and the mother. So now, this is how we know the mother was there because we learn about it in Mark. The father and the mother of the damsel And they that were with him, and they entered into where the damsel was lying. This is all new, every bit of it. It's not in Matthew at all. He put out all those who would not believe. We see the little girl's mothers there. He took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Now notice Jesus does what the ruler prayed he would do. What does he do? He walks in the room, and what's the first thing he does, Derek? He touches the girl. He doesn't speak to her and tell her to get up like he did to Lazarus, right? He's standing out, Lazarus, come forth! He could have done that, right? But instead, it says he goes in and he takes hold of the girl. He grabs a hold of this girl first. He is responding to the man's faith. He believed if you'll come in and if you will just touch her, if you will come in and just lay your hands on her, she will be healed. And so Jesus comes the way the man wants him to come and he touches the girl before or as he is healing her. Straightway the damsel arose and walked for she was the age of 12 and they were astonished. The astonishment here can be interpreted. They were scared. It scared them. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded them to give her some food. Now, I didn't study about that, but I think that's just... I'd like to understand this more. Jesus wants her to have some food. I don't have time for that right now, but... I mean, Jesus does these things, you know? You know, she's healed. She's not dead anymore. You know, you should feed her. I mean, I just think it's, it's it's in all... It's in several accounts, two of these accounts. Now behold, there came... Okay, now we get to our text. And I'll try to get through this, but there's just so much in this that I just... Now we get to Luke. Now we're in Luke. In our text, Luke 8, starting in verse 41. Behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she lay dying. Now, can you put yourself in this story... His little precious daughter must have meant so much to him that he would go. He's an important man. And he falls at the feet of Jesus to humble himself, begging for her life, pleading in faith. Mothers and fathers, if we're here and if we love our children and they are truly precious to us, we should be pleading to God on their behalf. Oh God. Lord, give my children life. Lord, fill them with the Spirit. Lord, make them your children. Lord, make my little daughter Rebecca, make her your daughter, oh God. Lord, make make my little Anna, whom I love. Lord, Lord, make her your daughter. Hear her prayers. Talk to her. We should be pleading, Steve, as God raises up our little Nevaehs and our little Sophies and, and they start to become women. We say, oh God, make them your daughters. You know, like last week, Lord... I wish I could be a father like you, but, but Lord, you can be a father to them like I can't be. You see, this man knew there were limits to what he could do, but there was no limit with God. 
And may we as people of God plead for our children that they would serve the Lord because unless God touches them, they will surely perish in their sins. Oh, Jesus, come to our houses and touch our children today that they may live. If this story stood alone, it would be remarkable, but it does not. It is just as Jesus goes with this troubled father, Luke tells us that the people thronged him and the people were everywhere around him. They were near him. They were no doubt touching him, rubbing up against his clothing, pressing him. And there are always people that are near and around the church. They are near and around the Lord who seem almost in a sense to be touching him, but they are not receiving anything from him. No virtue is flowing their direction at all because they are there just to be around to see what he does, but they're not there coming in faith. Folks, we got to come in faith. Every one of us must come in faith. Don't just come to church with your mom and dad. Come to church and say, God, speak to me. God, I want to hear your word. Lord, I want you to lead me to be a woman of God or a man of God. Lord, I want this. I don't just want to come and please my mom and my dad, but oh God, I want to come and hear your voice and be changed by it, oh God. Jesus was no magic lamp to be rubbed. He was God with us. The woman had thoughts in her mind, plans. There, I read that there was a superstition back then that, that uh, synagogue rulers that were important somehow had magic in their, in their garments and they had these really long fringes that made them important and people would love to just go and for good luck, like a rabbit's foot, they'd want to touch the fringes of these holy men's garments. This woman was wrong. She was superstitious. She was clueless. But God said, that's all right. She's my daughter. And as ignorant as she is, she's desperate and she's poor and she's lonely. And she believes in her heart that if she can touch me, I can heal her. And where her faith is misplaced in these other men and in these physicians that she has gone to, she has placed her faith in the right place today because I can answer this prayer. And he does. He is indeed the father who loves his daughter's. He was working out a plan in her life and she knew nothing about it. As he went, the people thronged him. A woman having an issue of blood 12 years had spent all of her living upon physicians. Neither could be healed of any. Now, as if the emphasis on the loneliness and obscurity of the second woman, as she enters into the story, her story isn't just a story all by itself. It's a story inside of a story about a more important person. You know, her story could have just been told alone, but it's, it's almost like a way, a literary way to kind of show her in her lowly state. Now, the gospel writers do not tell us this woman's name, which makes her even more lowly. We know the name of this other girl's father. We know the household. We know that his mother was with him. We know the synagogue where he worked. We know his job title. We know it all. But this other woman, she's nameless. Church tradition tells us that her name may have been Veronica. There is another tradition, though, who says her name may have been Bernice. The woman does not burst onto the scene, falling at the feet of Jesus as Jairus had. Quite the opposite. She stalks him from behind, scheming how to get her miracle without being noticed. She had faith, but poor understanding how God works. We do not need to be wise or smart to have faith. We just must believe. And act on that belief. Even when we understand God wrong, He still responds to our faith. I'm telling you, that's the message here. Some people say, well, I don't want to do it wrong. You know what? Doing it wrong isn't the worst thing you can do. Not understanding exactly right is not the worst thing you can do. Not acting in faith is the worst thing you can do. So why would this woman approach God in this way? Now, we don't exactly know because we can't get into her mind, but it may be the nature of her illness that was more than just a discouraging and debilitating disease. It made her personally and perpetually unclean. Everybody say unclean. What's it mean to be unclean? You know, back in uh, the, the scriptures, there were things that would make a person unclean. If you touched a dead person, you were unclean. You weren't to touch other people. You had to be cleansed first. There were, there were different things you had to do. Her her uncleanness had to do with her menstrual cycle. And you might go, oh no, I can't believe Pastor Mark would even say that in the church. But it is exactly what the story is about. And so we got to talk about it. This woman was bleeding. 
And you can look into every commentator. And you, This wasn't that she had a blood disease. She was bleeding and she just wouldn't stop bleeding. Well, in the scriptures, when a woman is in the womanly way and she is menstruating, according to scripture, she uh, was unclean. And everything that the woman touched, if the woman went and she sat on a bed, they had to take all the covers off the bed and they had to be washed. If she sat on a stool, they had to go wash the stool. If she walked around the house and she touched things in the house, all the things in the house would have to be clean. Can you imagine living a life like this for 12 years? They would not be allowed to come into public worship. She was never allowed to go into synagogue. She was never allowed to assemble with the people of God. She became an outcast. And not only was this discouraging and debilitating and irritating and painful for her to live with, but it had made her poor and it made her alone. We do not hear about a father and a mother. We do not hear about a friend or a companion. We do not hear about anything but this girl coming alone behind hiding and disguising herself. She knew that if she touched Jesus, he would be what? Unclean. Do you think it? Do you think it made him unclean? In fact, he made her clean. There are people who don't come to God because they feel too dirty. They feel too unclean. This woman knew her uncleanness and she thought if she could hide it, if maybe somehow he couldn't know about it, if maybe she could just go and she could touch the magic Jesus, she'd be okay. But never could she approach and say, heal me. This lone woman had what the King James calls the issue of blood. In the book of Leviticus, it gives us all of these rules. I'll read this from a commentator so you don't think I'm being too graphic. You can complain about the commentator. This woman had endured the chronic condition for 12 years, suffered greatly under the care of many doctors, spent all she had, and instead of getting better, she got worse. The terse description of this woman is that she was a woman of the covenant, born into it and subject to the rules of it. She is a mature woman, middle-aged, and although able chronologically to have children, she is infertile. She takes, she takes, there makes no, there's no mention of an attendant, a maid who accompanies her, or even a relative. She appears to be alone in the world. Although ill, she is mobile, quite likely a resident of Capernaum. She becomes part of the crowd in somewhat disguised state. In other words, her clothing, because of her condition, may have been layered in many ways in an attempt to cover her face so as not to be seen or recognized. Mark's description recounts specific details about the woman and her unsuccessful search among the doctors for a cure, but remains silent about something every woman who hears or reads the story knows. This woman's life is a constant routine of washing and drying to catch the flow of the blood. Furthermore, the hot weather of this land and their issues may cause her embarrassing effects that others around her would be sure to notice. Significantly, the readers of the time of the gospel immediately knew the ramifications of the issue of blood for her condition excludes her from all community life and of the church and worship. Leviticus 15, 25 through 27 explains the rules. Likewise, not only was she unclean, but the people who touched her were unclean until evening. Evidently, that prolonged condition seems to have led to her exclusion from her own family. She spent all of her money. This commentator said, imagine a life without hugs and friends and children and parents and lacking normal human contact, devoid of marital rights and duties and privileges. A life full of toil and need for constantly washing everything. The extra expense of her life that chronic illness often brings upon people. She is probably without income, unemployable, in a culture dominated by shame. The woman experiences embarrassment and exclusion. Can you see the contrast of this woman and the little girl? God made the woman a little girl. Or made the little girl, you know, a little girl who's 12, and she made the other one a woman. One was well off and important. The other one is, uh, is obscure and poverty stricken. 
each time and again. One, her father falls on the ground in front. And the other, she comes from behind. These contrasts are to show us that there is not a certain way to come to God. There are certain, uh, you can do it wrong. And even when we do it wrong, God still is there. It doesn't matter. People don't come to God just because they're important. You can come to God as lowly as you can imagine. And I love this part. She had heard stories prior to this incident, Mark. And the other readers record that Jesus had commanded an evil spirit to leave a man. He had healed the mother-in-law of Simon. He had reached out his hands and touched a leper. He had told a paralytic his sins were forgiven. He ordered the legion of spirits into the swine. All of these stories were stories that were being told. And she was hearing the stories being told. And she kept saying, oh, you got to tell me, where can I find this great physician? She mixes inconspicuously into the crowd awaiting Jesus' return, deliberately orchestrates an encounter. And although she thinks it will be quick, quick, unnoticed, A one-way meeting, she learns that Jesus engages those who encounter Him, especially one who draws power from Him. You see, dealing with God is not like dealing with an impersonal spirit. You don't, you know, you go and and you you offer your, you know, your gift over there and, and because you do this, then God has to do this. There are people that teach about God like this and they, they know very little about it. He stops. He wants to talk to her. He wants to interact with her. And he wants her to know that she's not just healed. Like Andy's been teaching us through the catechism. It's not just that he cleansed her, but that he made her his daughter. He adopted her as well. And what we learn later on is that she became a glorious part of the early church. And, and one historian said that they erected a statue outside of the house where she lived of the event of her reaching out and touching the hem of the garment that was there for even hundreds of years after that. You like to go to Capernaum and look for that? Look for a ruin of that? Jesus stopped. Who touched me? When all denied, Peter said they were with the master. The multitude throng the oppressed. thee. now say, who touched me? Jesus said, somebody did. For I perceived that virtue has gone out for me. When the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people, why she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, for thy faith hath made thee whole. Now the end of her story keeps the first story alive. Because the news that comes as Jairus telling him that his daughter is dead may have stricken down his faith. Yet having seen what God has done for the woman with the issue of the blood, he takes courage from Jesus Not to have fear, but faith. And strengthened by this woman's act of faith, he does not waver. Everyone else at his house does, but not him. Because you see, he had seen what the Savior can do. You know, we never know what our faith will do to inspire other people. How many times have I despaired or wanted to give up or wanted to complain before God, but that God brings someone to my mind and he shows me someone who's had it harder who's had it more difficult, who's suffered through it and has been faithful. In fact, that's what saved my life. As a young man, I experienced a horrible, horrible tragedy and was at the point of wanting to take my life. I believed that my life was over, that I had nothing more to offer the human race, and that I literally was considering for real, no joking around, taking my life. And you know what God did? He brought my wife into my mind. I had not seen and talked to her for eight years. I began to recount the horrible things that had happened in her life. The loss of two of her brothers. The entering into uh, a marriage where she was physically abused. And as I began to think of the horrible things that she lived through and how good my life had been in comparison, I felt ashamed of myself for despairing. And I said, well, hey, if she's still alive and she hadn't jumped off a bridge, maybe I shouldn't either. You'd be surprised what your faith. This guy's looking at his life. He's like, my little girl's at home with her mom and, and, and we're here and, and, and she's from this good family. And this woman, the entire life of my daughter, 12 years, has been plagued with this illness. My daughter's had a good life. 
And if God can touch this woman who's unclean, who did this, did all everything wrong, if, if God can touch her, maybe He can still touch my little girl. And praise God, He did not uh, back down with faith. In fact, He comes and they're all poo-pooing Him. They're all telling Him to get away. They're all laughing at Him. But G- he, that man's not leaving Jesus' side. He goes and He gets His wife by the hand and they go into the room and Jesus does just what He asked Him to do. He touches the girl and He tells her, to arise. Jesus heard that they had said she had died. Jesus says, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed, but he said, weep not, she's not dead, but sleep. And they laughed, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and he took her by the hand and he called saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again and she arose straightway and commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them not to say anything about what was done. Isn't this an incredible story within a story? Does it speak to you? Does it make you want to plead for your children's lives? Does it make you not worry so much about how... We do everything just right or just say, but oh, God, give our children faith. You know, our daughters may not end up being exactly the daughters of virtue that we uh, hope and picture in our mind that they will look like a certain thing. They may not be that. But virtue can flow to them through the Savior. He can touch them. They can be His daughters. Amen? If He did it for them, He can do it for you and yours. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us, for giving us these stories about You that we can tell and retell, that we can look into, that that as we look into them, they seem to grow larger and be filled with more nuance and beauty. Oh God, whether we are from the house of the little maiden of the rulers, or if we are alone in the world, You are the same. Your virtue flows from You. Not because we make it flow, but because You love us so. Lord, not because we have access to the secret uh, Word or the magic Word, O oh God, but because You care for us, that You have been watching us, You have prepared for the encounter and are able to meet us right where we are in our ignorance, in our uncleanness, in our deception even, trying to deceive You and Your virtue and love for us while we were yet sinners, having died for us, that we might live. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.